Welcome in to the Saturday edition of Home Field Advantage. My name is Will Highland. It's September 25th. Hope you're having a great weekend as always, wherever you may be and however you may be listening. Packed show today as always on the program. I'm going to be doing something a little bit different this weekend. We will be having an extended mailbag segment sandwiched between two fun topics that I'll be revisiting again. Uh, Things that we've talked about on this program before, things that are relevant to the day here um, across the sports world, so lots to get to in that regard. I want to do a quick shout out though before we begin the show. There's a lot of great content um, across the internet. Obviously, we all have our favorite podcasts and our favorite shows that we follow uh, and people that we follow. But I have a couple, couple friends um, who are who are engaging in this space as well. I encourage you to f- go f- listen to the Sub Five Hundred podcast um, by a friend of mine, Jackson, who was on the program. You can find that on Anchor just by searching sub 500 podcast and then again a classmate of mine in college uh, he works for spectacular magazine and that's based in the carolinas and you can find his work there he also has a strong instagram presence too his name is joe skirto so please go read his work he does a fantastic job and then lastly is my friends over at mainly celtics They were on this program back in the spring, uh, led by Emery, Dinsmore, and Matt Smith. They talk about everything under the sun. They have guests. They have a lot of fun over there. Uh, And so please go listen to them as well. But beyond those shameless plugs, obviously you can follow us on Instagram at HomeFieldPod and on Twitter at HomeFieldPod, as well as our parent company, SportlandUSA, on Twitter at Sportland USA. But now that the housekeeping is out of the way, I think the best place to start on our Saturday show here is the American League wildcard race in Major League Baseball and how really since we last spoke about it in length was on the morning advantage last Wednesday and things really haven't changed. I mean, over the last 10, you've 10 games really since that day, We've had three teams emerge uh, in the Yankees, the Mariners, and the Red Sox as the three big horses in this race. Now, we obviously can't forget about the Toronto Blue Jays, but they've lost three in a row. They've settled a little bit. They're not the same team they were a week ago, and with games running out, The Blue Jays really need to turn it around. They'll get a chance to do that when they host the Yankees during the upcoming week. But Toronto, after losing three in a row and going four and six in their last ten, they've lost some ground and they now sit two games out of that second spot. Meanwhile, the Mariners, they've won six in a row, seven and three in their last ten. They're also two games out and they hold the tiebreaker over the Blue Jays right now. Yankees, they had struggled against... The Red Sox early in the season, um, but really since the trading deadline, the Yankees have ate the Red Sox lunch, and they continued to do that last night. 
shelling Nate Avaldi early in the game and grabbing a crucial in-hand matchup with Boston. Now, Boston only sits a game up on the Yankees in the top spot, um, and Boston sits three games up total on the Mariners in third. This all mean this means that even with six or seven or eight games left, depending on the team, there's still a lot of uh, jockeying to be done over the course of the next few days leading up to what could be a play-in situation next Monday the 4th and, of course, the wild card game on the 5th. Now, Oakland, they had originally been a factor, but after... After having a tough week themselves, they are four games out, and at this point, they would need a mathematical miracle to get f- to leapfrog uh, two teams and the Yankees uh, to get into that second spot. It's obviously, as I said, there's still time, but it's really become the Mariners, the Blue Jays, the Yankees nipping at the heels of the Red Sox, and the Red Sox really doing their best to tread water here, considering that, as we've talked about on this program and on the morning advantage, the Red Sox have really struggled uh, since, you know, mid-July, early August, and unfortunately, they found themselves in a pretty precarious position where, yes, they have the best chances of making the wild card, but at this point, if they had played their cards better, they would have had it wrapped up and they'd be sitting pretty being able to set up their pitching for the playing game, the wild card, whatever you want to call it. Because now, the Red Sox can't be too pleased with their starting rotation um, after last night's start with Avaldi and the Yankees. It's sort of discon. It's sort of Concerning, really, if you think about it, because now the Red Sox thought, and and obviously we're not going to put too much stock into one performance by Nate Evaldi, but they did think that he was going to be the guy. He he really, you know, would bode well against that lineup with all those right-handers, but it took him until his 36th pitch last night to get a swing and a miss. And when you're facing a lineup that really won through eight, with the exception of Brett Gardner, uh, although he also had some hard hit balls last night, they can do damage, right? Like the Yankees lineup is still legit. Um, and so if you're a Red Sox fan, it's probably a little disconcert or it's probably a little concerning to see the Yankees have that much success against Evaldi if he was going to be someone who you could count on because now the way it's set up, they could need that last game against Washington as a W. They could need a play-in game potentially. I know they hold some tiebreakers here. Um, I don't know where their tiebreakers lie with the Mariners, but it, it is tough when you look at the remaining schedule for everyone. The Red Sox are going to play their last, you know, their last road games against Washington. And they're going to be without a DH. And so we really need to start thinking about how the next few games are going to impact um, the pitching setups for some of these uh, crucial elimination games. And the Red Sox are certainly finding their, um, finding 
their way through that right now, and they still they'll still need to figure out who is going to play second base because Jose Jose Iglesias isn't eligible for the postseason. They'll need to figure out if they want to rely on Dalbeck, Schwarber, or both at first base, which is a little concerning considering that Schwarber did not look great at first base last night, and you can't afford errors in key spots during an elimination game. So the American League wild card race is definitely as hot as it's been in years. I cannot remember the last time we had four or five teams competing for two spots. Uh, I think if you're a White Sox and Astros or a Rays fan, as I've said before, you can sit back and enjoy this for what it is. And as I said on Wednesday's show of the Morning Advantage, either way we're going to be set up for some really exciting postseason matchups in October. And I know I say this about everything, but there's really nothing more exciting than October baseball. And I think that we had some mailbag questions relating to Major League Baseball and the um, and the postseason slash, um, you know, just future of a few teams here. And so we'll roll right into that in just one minute. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're doing here at Home Field Advantage. Guys, so if you've been listening to this program for a while, you certainly have heard me sh- make a big um, shtick about what we're doing here at Sportland USA and at Home Field Advantage. But in case you haven't, please follow us on Instagram and like, share, and subscribe to each podcast and the show in general. Definitely share it with your friends. You can find us on Instagram at Home Field Pod. And on Twitter at HomeFieldPod and at Sportland USA, we're trying our best to get some content out to you on a more, um, you know, consistent basis. We have our morning show Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Uh, but it, it's okay if you're still sleeping at that point because you can always watch it again on playback throughout the day. Uh, and we'd love to get more topic ideas about what you think we should talk about on some of those shows because. Sometimes I wake up and I'm eating breakfast, I'm getting ready, I'm planning the show, and I can't decide what I want to talk about. So I'd love to have some, you know, like we're doing right now with the mailbag or coming up with the mailbag is, you know, have some ideas about what you think we should talk about on the show. Really want to get some more listener involvement uh, because you guys are what makes the show. Otherwise, it would just be me talking to nobody, talking to my wall, you know, talking to my bookshelf. Uh, But you know, if, if we can grow our listeners and get you guys involved with with the program here, then it would be super fun, and we'd, we'd love to have it happen. So definitely Instagram, um, follow us if you are interested in getting involved, and then also please DM us on Instagram with any ideas, at homefieldpod. And then you can also DM me personally if you want. It's at Highland too on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. But now I think we should move on and do the mailbag segment. I think this is a fun segment that we don't often do, and I really want to do it more. But sometimes it's hit or miss, which is, again, why I want more uh, involvement with our listeners on this, because it's super fun. I think when we do it, we'll air a song in the background like we're doing right now. And we'll we'll just have we'll have we'll have a good time talking sports and you know this song will fade out fade in whatever we're just gonna try stuff new we're gonna try something new uh, to make it less less of a monologue by me 
and more of an interactive show, and I'd love to get you guys involved. And the good news is we have a lot of mailbag questions today, which will take up most of the rest of the show. Now, the first question comes from Taylor, and he wants to know who I think the Major League Baseball MVP is for the year. All right, Taylor's been a great listener of the program. I know he's been always been active on Instagram with us, so he's a great example of someone who you should emulate. Now, with, with his question here, I'm assuming he wants me to break it up into American League and National League. So, with the American League, uh, I think it's pretty hard not to have uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, as the major, as the American League MVP, and part of the reason why I like I like Vlad Guerrero is because, you know, the Blue Jays have one of the best run differentials in baseball, and if it wasn't for if it wasn't for him, the Blue Jays would lack a lot of the offensive firepower that they've had all all year long. I mean, this is a team that can pounce on you in an instant. And so, I really like Vlad Guerrero for that for that purpose. I mean, he's hitting 319 with 46 home runs. He's I know he's 10 RBI behind Sal Perez, so I don't think he'll finish ahead of Sal Perez of the Royals and win the triple crown. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll be able to see that, but he is he's right there with Otani. He's right there with Perez for the home run, uh, for the home run crown, and real part of me really wishes I picked up Salvador Perez in fantasy baseball. I mean, I'm already winning my league right now, but I could be running away with it if it wasn't uh, for me picking Wilson Contreras. Not that Wilson Contreras is a bad catcher for the Cubs, but Salvador Perez, he's he's like hit the fountain of youth. He's had a great year too, so you could. You could argue that, although the Royals, they're not really in playoff contention. And, I mean, as much as I love Shohei Otani, and he's been fantastic, um, you know, the Angels, I don't, I, I haven't seen as much of a, you know, season-changing performance out of Shohei Otani, because really, for the Angels, it's more of the same. Shohei Otani's awesome. He's been, has, has had a Hall of Fame season so hard to like even say that all those words together but he's had a hall of fame season just like Mike Trout has had hall of fame seasons for the Angels but at the end of the day it seems like more of the same with them um, a lot of great individual performances but not enough to move the needle and I think what Vlad Guerrero is doing in Toronto has been fantastic so I like Vlad Guerrero as the uh, American League MVP uh, for sure over in the National League MVP it's a little tougher uh, but I had it down. I, I had it down to two guys, really two or three guys. Um, I think I think you can make a case for a lot of different players. I mean, Adam Duvall's had a fantastic season: thirty home runs, one hundred and eleven RBI. Uh, but he's only hitting two thirty-five, and I, I know that's old. I'm, he's only uh, his OPS is only uh, sorry his slugging is only five hundred nine. You know, compared to some of the, some of the other guys in in the league who are a little bit higher, like Tatis or or uh, Goldschmidt, um, but I I really I really like what Duvall's been doing for Atlanta, especially with the absence of Ronald Acuna. Uh, Nolan Arenado's had a like superb season. He and Goldschmidt have really been the difference makers with the Cardinals. I mean, 
St. Louis is one of the few remaining baseball towns in the country. And what Goldschmidt and Arenado have done moving, uh, you know, moving there to St. Louis from, you know, some pretty irrelevant franchises in the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and really turning a great baseball franchise around. And they've been so hot as of late, it's hard not to put them in the category. Um, but I look at people who produce a lot of runs for their teams. I mean, there's a bunch of guys on the Braves that do that. So perhaps Duval isn't necessarily MVP worthy when you consider that both Austin Riley and Ozzy Albies have just about the same number of RBIs. They're closing in on 100 as well. Um, Machado and Tatis, both of the Padres. I think if you were going to pick a Padre, I would pick Tatis. And so I guess when you're really holding my feet to the fire, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll pick, I'll pick Fernando Tatis, even though he's been injured a lot of the year. Um, there's a ton of other guys on the list that you could talk about. Pete Alonzo, Joey Votto, Juan Soto, um, any of those guys. But I really like what Tatis has done considering, uh, his, considering, you know, the fact that he had some injuries early on in the year. And again, it's hard to ignore some of these guys out West either. You know, again, Brandon Crawford has, you know, found the fountain of youth. He's hitting 300, you know, his... His RBIs and his home runs won't wow you, but this is a guy who's been everything that the Giants need him more. Um, but again, it's hard. You know, Harper's had a great second half, but the Phillies really aren't going anywhere. Trey Turner's had a great season. Juan Soto's been amazing, but it's hard not to pick Fernando Tatis and what he's done uh, for the Padres. Uh, so I'm going with him. All right. Second question comes from Kyle. He wants to know what I think the future of the Mets is. Now, I'll be I'll be honest. I don't watch a lot of Mets baseball. I watched a little bit of them this past week when they were playing the Red Sox. If there's one thing I know about the Mets, you know, we were just talking about Pete Alonso. It's they've got some good young studs on this team. I really like what Pete Alonso can do. I like what Javi Baez and. Francisco Lindor can do the question is can they get those guys to stick around um you know Jeff McNeil in the past has had some pretty good seasons Brandon Nimmo has sort of been a disappointment he was a highly touted prospect early on same thing with Michael Conforto they've sort of quieted down in their careers um so on the offensive side the Mets are sort of all over the place they don't really have a vision there I don't know a ton about their prospects they do have a catcher that they believe um, will be uh, the heir apparent to James McCann and could put up some numbers for them. They also like a good third base pr prospect. They like uh, a guy named Brett Batty. They like him. Uh, I know Ronnie Mauricio's ranked pretty high in their system. He's a shortstop. Uh, but I, I'm my long-term worry about the Mets is their pitching because their pitching staff looked Degrom's awesome. We've talked about it before in the show. He had an all-world season. But he struggled to stay healthy. I don't know if, how long they can really rely on him. Uh, I like Stroman. I like Carlos Carrasco. I like Tejon Walker. I like Rich Hill. But none of these guys are really ace-worthy, in my opinion. DeGrom is really their ace. He's the guy they'll have to rely on. Their bullpen is you know, made up of some pretty enticing names. You know, Familia at one point was a closer in this league. Edwin Diaz at one point was one of the best closers in this league. 
Um, Brad Hand, of course, at one point was one of the best closers in this league. So they do have some uh, strong arms in that bullpen. It's just a matter of keeping everyone together. And really, it starts with the front office. You know, we've talked about that on this show, too. The Mets front office has been a dumpster fire. They have, you know, had endless problems with, you know, conduct among their management. And so for the future of the Mets, it really starts upstairs. You know, it starts upstairs in the owner suite. It starts upstairs in the front office and in, in in with what they'll be able to do going forward. Um, so that's how I feel about the Mets. All right. And let's see. Our next one comes from our friends over at Manly Celtics. And they want to know what I believe the ideal Red Sox playoff rotation is. And... To me, the most ideal Red Sox playoff rotation obviously includes Chris Sale at the top. I mean, Chris Sale is and will be the Red Sox best pitcher in the postseason. Uh, I'm a little skeptical now about Nate Evaldi, and I shouldn't be because he's had a fantastic season. Uh, But last night, that was a little scary. I don't know what that can do to someone's confidence. Um... I am a little worried about Nick Pavetta, even though it seems like he's had a strong season at times. He is also someone who is really streaky, and in October, the Red Sox cannot afford to be streaky. He's pitched so far so good today against New York, and so I do like Nick Pavetta. Obviously, Eduardo Rodriguez is strong. I do like Eduardo Rodriguez. He is, um, he has been one of the Red Sox' best and most consistent pitchers this year, especially against the Yankees. So I do like what Eduardo Rodriguez brings to the table, and that those four are really the four that I think the Red Sox will consider um, for their for their. Um, for their postseason rotation. I don't think Tanner Houck is going to get a look. Um, obviously, these guys like Martin Perez, they're not going to get looks. Um, I don't think Garrett Richards will ever find his way back into the uh, starting rotation again. So you're really you're looking at Pavetta, Avali, Rodriguez, and Sale. And what I would take away from that is that no matter which of the top two you choose, they're going to be able to pitch three out of five games in a best of seven series. I'm uh, sorry, in a best out of a best of five series, and they're likely going to be able to pitch four out of seven in a, in a best of seven. So the Red Sox are sitting pretty if they truly believe in uh, Chris Sale and whether that be Eduardo Rodriguez or Nate Avaldi. I think Nick Pavetta might play the Jake Peavy role, might uh, play sort of the Rick Porcello role of, um, you know, he starts playoff games, but not necessarily, you know, game one or game two. Um, But again, as I said in the outset, what worries me is that the Red Sox will need Sale and and or Evaldi to just get to the playoffs. And then you could find yourself in a tough situation if you have Pavetta lined up against, I don't know, uh, Garrett Cole or Glassnow or someone else or whoever the Rays are pitching, whether that's McClanahan or whoever. I think I don't know if Glassnow's hurt. I haven't been following the Rays that closely since the Red Sox found their way uh, out of the division race. So he, I think Glassnow is actually hurt. Um, so 
Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. Um, I, I really have no idea what's going on with the Rays rotation. So maybe just scratch all that all together. But either way, like let's say they, they okay, they could play the White Sox and they're suddenly, you know, Giolito and uh, Cease are out there and you're tossing Nate Evaldi and Eduardo Rodriguez because Evaldi, sorry, you're starting Pavetta and Rodriguez because Evaldi and Sale have pitched. And so now you're just running into a bad situation here. Um, and so... I think my ideal rotation, obviously, Sale. I'd probably still go with um, Avaldi, and then I'd go with Rodriguez, so that you have a lefty in there, and I'd, you know, and I've, I'd have, uh, I'd have Pavetta if, available if need be. All right. The fourth question is a hockey question, also from mainly Celtics. They want to know if I think Jack Eichel is going to get moved, and if so, where? Okay, Jack Eichel is definitely going to get moved. This is as confident as I feel about a player getting. Uh, traded as ever my only caveat to that is I don't think that um, the Sabres will trade him during the during the preseason or the training camp because he just got placed on IRR a few days ago with a neck injury he got stripped of his captaincy there's a big dark cloud around Jack Eichel right now and so our team's going to be bullish on Jack Eichel I'm not sure so I think there are teams willing to trade for Jack Eichel among certain conditions you know there's definitely going to there's definitely going to be teams that would take a chance on an all-world talent like Jack Eichel uh, I'm just a little concerned um, about what, you know, what, uh, what the strings attached with that is, you know, obviously I think the New York Rangers will be a factor. The Washington Capitals could be a factor. Any of these Northeast teams, uh, could certainly be a factor because that's going to be really competitive, you know, but I could see him going somewhere weird, right? Somewhere like the LA Kings or the San Jose Sharks. Like it could be weird. Like, he could do sort of what Taylor Hall did, you know, get drafted high, go play for a bad team, bounce around, go to some weird teams, hang out in the New York area, then jump out west, and then come back east. He could definitely end up being one of those players who jumps around a lot in his early career and casts a shadow over, you know, the really strong player that he truly is with all of the drama. So that's how I feel about Jack Eichel. I'm not sure what to think going forward if he um, you know if he does end up moving if so where that's a great question. I think he'll move it might not be during the preseason. They might hold on to him. I have no idea what the Buffalo Sabres are doing because they at one point had Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall and now they're in a year they could be rid of both of those guys. Um, but glad Taylor Hall's the Boston Bruins. All right, Bronson wants to know what I think the Patriots' playoff predictions will be. Will they miss? Will they go in the first round, or will they will they get go for a deep run? Um, so a lot of it, I think, hap- is really dependent on the next two weeks, right? Like the the Patriots have a fantastic opportunity to beat New Orleans tomorrow. Get to two, get to um, two and one, and then you know obviously Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are coming to town next week, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. In our closing thought, 
But I think the Patriots have an opportunity to really put that first game in Miami behind them, get two good wins, one good win against the Jets on the road. And look, the Jets are the Jets, so I know it's not necessarily that impressive. But, you know, then you go and you beat New Orleans, right? And if you, even if you lose to Tampa, you're 2-2. Two and two. You can maybe go beat the tech Texans. Maybe you lose at home to the Cowboys. Um, and then you're 3-3. Three and three. You know, then, you know, you might be able to beat the Jets. You know, you might be able to medal around 500. Um, and then you might be able to really, you know, Go beat the Panthers. Maybe you get lucky against the Browns at home. You go beat the Falcons. You know, next thing you know, you find yourself at the end of the season against divisional and wildcard opponents. You know, you get a nice cupcake game at home at the end of the year against the Jaguars for going to Miami. So there's a lot of opportunities for both the Patriots to excel and for the Patriots to slip up. What they really can't afford to do is lose tomorrow to New Orleans. Lose the following week to Tampa, which both is possible, in my opinion, and I hate to be negative, but I think they're going to lose tomorrow, and I think they're going to lose next week, and then they'll be 1-3, and three, and even if they go beat the Texans, they then have to host the Cowboys, and the Cowboys' offense is miles ahead of the Patriots' offense, so they could start the season if they lose to Dallas, Tampa, and New Orleans, three NFC teams at home, they could be 0-4 to start the season at home. And that's terrible. They can't do that. You can't start the season 2-4, and four, even in a 17-game season, and expect to miss the playoffs. So I think my prediction is they'll, they'll, they might find a way to sneak in as a wild card, but I wouldn't expect too much out of this Patriots team. They're still really unproven on offense. They have a harder schedule than I guess I thought. So at the beginning of the year, you know, I was sort of going off the you know impression that you might be able to Beat the Dolphins, beat the Jets like we used to in the Brady days, and then, you know, you, you know, you might get lucky against the Saints, and then who cares if you lose to the Buccaneers because you're three and one? Then you can go beat the Texans. You're four and one. That was before I thought the Cowboys were going to be so good. You know, they'll be, you know, and I thought they'd be able to you know, sort of head into that Halloween game against the Chargers and be, you know, five and one or um, or four and two or something. But now, now it, it's really a matter of time before they really have to start start watching the standings. And and as we said with Cam a couple weeks ago, the days of sleepwalking through the regular season, getting into the playoffs, are are, are over. Uh, those days are far gone. So the Patriots will certainly need to get their act together um, and win some of these home games in the early part of the season. That way. They can sort of rid themselves of the problem that was created by losing to Miami week one. All right, Daybok wants to know the worst free agent decision that Bill Belichick has made. And I thought about this for a little bit. There's been a bad there's been lots of bad ones. I mean, personally, I think the the Antonio Brown free agency experience two years ago was pretty bad. Um Mostly because what it represented, like, right, like it represented sort of this desperate thing where the Patriots knew they weren't good enough. I mean, think about the, think about the position they were in two years ago. They had Edelman coming off a Super Bowl MVP. They had Brady 
who was disgruntled, but they were trying to surround him with the most amount of guys as they could. They brought in Demarius Thomas. I think one of the years, I don't know if it was that year or the year before, they brought in Eric Decker, right? Like they were trying to bring in all these receivers. They had Josh Gordon, who couldn't keep his nose clean, unfortunately. They had all these guys. Um, Philip Dorsett, I think, was still around at the time, and he was really their best offensive weapon at times. You know, they had... Jacoby Myers had shown flashes. They had drafted Nikhil Harry. So the Antonio Brown experience was just seemed like more desperation. I know this isn't a trade, but they also brought in Muhammad. Uh, sorry, I know this isn't a free agent signing, but they also brought in Muhammad Sanu that year. So it was just sort of this desperate move. But that's sort of recency bias. I think if you want to look at overall, I think a Dallas Thomas was the worst uh, free agency signing of all time. By Belichick. Uh, and behind him, not far away, is uh, Albert Hainsworth was brutal. Uh, a lot of these guys have been defensive uh, defensive linemen. I think having uh, Terrence Knight in one year, who didn't even make it, you know, Pot Roast was his nickname. He didn't even make it out of the preseason, I don't remember. I can't even, it's been so long, I can't even remember. Uh, when these guys were on the Patriots, I'm gonna have to look that up real, real quick. Um, I'm looking up when Terrence Knight was on the Pats. I remember Hainsworth was like the '09 season. That I mean, if you want to look at a brutal stretch of of Pats offseason uh, acquisitions, look no further than uh, the 2009 season and how bad that was. But I think it was 2016 that Pot Roast came to New England and just completely whiffed. Uh, and this is a guy who had had a pretty good career with Denver, uh, Washington, Jacksonville. He showed up in New England and just completely whiffed in 2016. and wasn't in shape. Uh, the 2009 Pats, they were full of bad ones. I mean... You can look at veteran receivers and running backs alone that Bill has brought in and really scratch your head. I mean, the 2009 season, he brought in Torrey Holt and Joey Galloway. Both of those guys were washed up and old. Brady didn't even bring those guys in. I think the Ocho Cinco experience in 2011, I want to say, was also pretty bad. Um, So there's a lot of ways you can go. Fred Taylor made his way to New England. He was washed up and old. But it's really hard to pick on the washed-up old guys um, because, like, they were washed-up and old, right? Like, that was Belichick taking a chance. That wasn't Belichick, you know, selling you a bill of goods and having him be a complete bust. You know, Coney Ely is actually a great example of another defensive lineman who showed up a few years ago. I want to say that was the 2017 season. Didn't even make the roster. Uh, then he didn't even um, really do anything for the Jets that year either. And now he's in the CFL. So, I mean, he was someone who really whiffed. Um, there's been a lot of guys. I used to think Stefan Gilmore was going to be a whiff uh, his first year in New England. So there, there's a lot. There's really a lot to choose from. But top of the cake, Adelis Thomas for sure, followed by Al- Albert Hainsworth and probably Tony Ely. Um, basically, throw a dart at any. Um, if you had a dartboard, you can throw a dart at any uh, free agent signing that that was a receiver or a defensive lineman by Bill Belichick, and it was bound to be underwhelming. Uh, 
Kyle wants to know my if I have revised picks for each of the divisions in the NFL. Now, I have some I have some reservations, you know, about some of my picks, but I still like where I am. I think I picked the Ravens to win the AFC North, and I still like that pick. I think I picked obviously the Bills to win the AFC East. I still like that pick. AFC South, I think I picked the Titans. I think if they can avoid the sort of performance they had in week one against Arizona, uh, they can find their way to win that division, especially now that the Colts, who I was high on, are having injury problems. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Out West, obviously Kansas City. I still like them to win that division, even though they dropped a game to Baltimore. Uh, And then in the NFC, I... I obviously still like the Rams to win the West. Uh, they've looked pretty good. They have a huge test tomorrow against Tampa. Uh, I liked the um, I liked the Packers in the North. I still sort of like the Packers in the North, and the reason being is we know the Lions aren't good. We know the Bears are having problems, although the Bears, they're sort of playing on borrowed time, so maybe the desperate, desperation could build well for them. I'm not convinced of that. And then the Vikings... They lose games. They lose games to Cincinnati, right? Like I don't want to. I also liked the Bengals, so I don't want to put too much stock into that game. But it is a little disconcerting when you look at uh, what the Vikings are doing and how they played. And I think Zimmer's on the hot seat up there. So I still like the Packers in that division. In the East, I think I picked Dallas. I'm not certain. I think I picked Dallas. If Dak can stay healthy, and if he can, I still like that pick. And then, of course, in the South, I still like the Buccaneers because they've looked all-world. So, to answer Kyle's question, I don't really have any revised divisional picks. Uh, I think they're still strong in every um, way through two weeks. And uh, we'll find out this weekend uh, if I'm eating my words again. Um, But I think the game of the week is, as I said on Friday's show, definitely Rams versus Buccaneers. Uh, in my opinion, it will be a NFC uh, championship game preview, and so all eyes should be on that matchup. All right, and the last question of the mailbag comes from Matt, and his response is, wait, what? When did you start a podcast? Well, thanks for asking, Matt. I'm um, sorry I didn't connect with you earlier. I think you'd enjoy the show. Um, Matt's a kid I've known for a long time. I shouldn't say kid. He's actually pretty grown up now. Time flies by pretty fast. Um, but yeah, Matt. Matt's a good kid. So, or excuse me again. Matt is a good guy, right? He's not a kid anymore. It's 2021. I know the last year has felt like two years, but time does fly by pretty fast. Um, so yeah, I think despite the fact that time has stood to stood still, Matt. This um, this podcast has been ongoing for three years now almost two and a half I um, my first episode was I think January 3rd 2019 so the world was a different place back then so I remember it like it was yesterday because like I said even though time's been pretty much standing still throughout most of this COVID pandemic it does feel like yesterday that I was recording the first um podcast or first episode of this podcast in my childhood home at my parents house over winter break 
just after New Year's. I was talking a lot of NFL at the time. I actually went back and I listened to the first episode not too long ago. Um, so that was our first episode. We did a lot of podcasts that spring. Uh, but then once the Bruins got their Stanley Cup heart, heart, heartbreak handed to them in June, I really didn't do a podcast for almost another year. Uh, started it back up again in the winter of 2020. Um, didn't really do a lot there, but now that I've invested in time in the equipment, 2021 and season three has been the best season of this podcast yet. And so now here we are. So long story short is two and a half years. January 2019 was the first episode. I think we're closing in on 50 episodes so far um, in the program. Uh, Maybe we'll do something special when we get to episode 50. Uh, And then again at episode 100. But uh, I'm glad to have you guys here listening at every step of the way. Um, And so good guy like Matt. Need him on board as a listener. I need all of you guys. Continued listenership. That's how we grow. That's how we get better. That's how the content gets better. uh, With me and myself and more practice. More guests. More engagement. That's how the shows get better. And that's how we continue to do the best we can. All right, so that wraps up the mailbag segment. Um, Before we wrap up the show in particular, I do want to touch briefly on the drama that occurred throughout the NFL world in the last few weeks. So we will get to that in just one second. But first, a word from my friends over at Anchor. Hey everyone, it's Will Highlands here from Home Field Advantage. If you heard the advertisement at the outset, it's pretty pretty much everything you need to know about Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to record your podcast. It's so easy, even I can do it. At this point in our in our podcast's development, I wouldn't know how to get the word out there if it wasn't for Anchor. They're the best at distributing your podcast to all the major providers, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. They've really helped with their technology tools to help to you know make this podcast what it is. And so for lack of a better, you know, really for lack of a better example, they've been they've really been, you know, the antidote for what was sort of a floundering uh, technological experience for me prior to starting up with Anchor. So if you are looking to start your own podcast, there's no better way to do it than with Anchor. And that's coming from me. This isn't necessarily an ad read. This is me just reiterating what I said at the outset. Definitely head on over to anchor.fm to get started. It is so simple and so easy. And it's really helped this podcast grow. Um, and so it's really because of you all and because of Anchor that we're able to do this. And uh, there's so much more fun stuff underway here. So if you want to start your own podcast, definitely do it with Anchor. If you want to connect with this podcast, certainly do it by visiting us on Instagram and Twitter at HomeFieldPod. You are listening to Homefield Advantage, brought to you by Sportland USA and hosted by Will Highland. And now we'll return to our normal programming.
Welcome back into the program. My name is Will Highland and this is Home Field Advantage. I hope you're having a great weekend wherever you may be across our great nation or our great land. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. As I've said, we've been talking about so much today, whether that be the Major League Baseball pennant race, the ongoings of each of the teams as it pertains to you know, their offseason in the MLB and the NFL and the NHL. We've gone all over the place today. But where I want to end and where I want to put a bow on this show is with what I believe is the most exciting and fun topic in sports right now. And forgive me if I'm the prisoner of the moment because I'm a I'm a Red Sox fan, and forgive me if I'm, you know, if you're watching on the simulcast and I'm like all over the place with my, you know, eyes and the camera and stuff. This is the first time. But where I really want to start with this is the Brady Belichick saga that has consumed sports media for the better part of three, four years at this point, even longer in some cases. It will come to its precipice, its breaking point, its boiling point in eight days. We are on the verge of one of the most hyped, one of the most highly anticipated, one of the most, what will be, in my opinion, the most watched sporting event in the regular season in NFL history. And it could be, in my opinion, the most watched regular season sporting event of all time in any sport. In my opinion, it could be the most watched television event of 2021 that wasn't the Super Bowl or perhaps the Olympics. Although the Olympics did not have a great year in terms of ratings. So we are on the verge of all of this coming next week at Foxborough between the Buccaneers and the Patriots. So we know all that. But this Brady and Belichick saga took another turn this week. It became headline news across the country, across the region, among all the NFL insiders. No matter where you live, no matter where uh, your team that you root for, no matter where they play their home games. If you are an NFL follower, you certainly heard it about it this week because Tom Brady's dad went on a podcast with a local Patriots beat reporter, Tom Curran. He does fantastic work. He went on and he uh, spoke about the divorce, so to speak, between Belichick and Brady and the ramifications. And then you had Alex Guerrero, the trainer, the personal confidant, of Tom Brady go out on the record and make comments. You had Brady himself make an Instagram post on Monday with Bruce Arians where he said, quote, you always have my back and I'll always have yours. It's hard not to read into that Instagram post. You also found earlier on in the season little bits and pieces that this was building much earlier than neither Bill or Brady wanted you to think. Both of these guys have tremendous egos. They are both awesome, right? And I have heard, I tend to be Team Brady, right? Like, I am a Tom 
Brady follower. I have loved him. He's been my favorite athlete since I was six years old. No questions asked. I have had a Tom Brady jersey since, you know, before I even, like, entered puberty. Like, he has been my childhood, right? Like, Tom Brady has been it. He has been the guy. If you grew up where I grew up, you can see the Bruins jerseys behind me. I'm a huge hockey fan. I'm a huge baseball fan. But nobody in New England sports topped Tom Brady in terms of my personal fandom as an athlete. And I know a lot of guys and gals of my age will say the same thing if they love the Patriots. Right? So that goes without saying. But what we can't forget is that Tom Brady plays for a different team now. He plays for a team that the Patriots will be playing eight days from now. And look, part of me really wants to see Brady shove it up the Patriots, you know what, and be like, look, you wanted to let me go, Bill? You you thought I was old? You thought I was washed up? You thought you could win with someone like Cam Newton? Have fun, right? But that is not what I want to happen as a Patriots fan. Like, I want... New England to win the game, to improve to 3 and 0. I'm sorry, improve to uh, 3 and 1 at the time, hopefully, right? Like I want I want some good stuff to happen for my team. But at the same token, I can understand why some people who are Patriots fans would want to see Brady succeed. I I get it. But all of that, to me, is second to what will happen. I mean, fans, we live and die by some of these things, right? Like Seth Wickersham, his book is coming out in a couple weeks. I pre-ordered it. It is going to read spicier than a reality TV show. It's going to be The Real Housewives of Foxborough on steroids. And I'm looking forward to it. I read Jeff Benedict's book, which was told from the craft perspective. I'm reading the Belichick book behind me, which is very critical of Belichick. And now I believe that Wickersham's book will be very anti-Brady. Look, to me, I've heard it said a lot of ways. But Belichick and Brady, as I said before I got on the tangent, they're awesome, right? Like nobody doubts their ability to change an NFL game. But to me, I think... Brady right now has the upper hand. And I think he's been a little petty this week. You know, there's no question that he had something to do with some of the media uh, attention this week and some of the targets being aimed at Bill. And there's no question that he chose to do it this week because he wants the, uh, you know, he wants next week to there be nothing but talk about the game, which, (laughs) good luck, dude. But he was trying to get out ahead of it with some of his little petty crap. And I understand. And look, I'm a Tom Brady honk. I get it. But now that we know that these guys hate each other virtually at this point, we can go in so many different directions. But the bottom line is this. If Tom Brady and Bill Belichick hate each other so much, it is even more magnificent that they were able to focus and compartmentalize their uh, egos and their personal wants for the good of the team for all those years. 
I said this at the time of the first Seth Wickersham article back in January of 2018. I thought, I told friends and family, if there's anybody who can compartmentalize and do what's best for the football team, it is these two gentlemen, and it is Robert Kraft. And for the next two years, they did essentially that. But eventually time ran out. The sand in the hourglass was gone. And Brady left. He went to Tampa. And I know that others have made this point too. Especially, you know, some local radio guys from WEI have made this point too. That all the few does is exemplify how good they were at their jobs for all their time. Especially if you consider from, honestly, from 2014 to 2020, they probably didn't like each other that much. I think from Deflategate on, and really from the drafting of Jimmy Garoppolo on, there was some animosity between the two guys. And whether it was warranted in one way or the other, that's up for you to decide. I personally am Team Brady, but it's more impressive now that we know. We've found in the past week, they've each done their own interviews. We know how they feel about each other with the sarcasm and the shots across the bow that have happened. You know, Brady telling Jim Gray that there's... That he always loves the compliments that he gets from Coach Belichick. And Belichick telling the media that if anybody knew more about uh, playing quarterback in their 40s, it would be Tom Brady. And the, the sarcasm in both of those exchanges. We know how much they hate each other at this point. How sour it ended. But to me, it's even more impressive that they were able to win that 2018 Super Bowl. Because of their ability to compartmentalize and win do what's best for the football team and win and that's what Tom Brady did throughout his entire career in in uh, New England and that's what he'll continue to do throughout the rest of his career in Tampa most likely as much as he has as he's become an egomaniac in the past few years he's always been able to compartmentalize and that's again why I think he did all of the media dirty work this week because next week He's going to be laser-focused, and I think Belichick is going to be the same way. All right. Love to hear what you think. We're going to have probably a guest on next week to talk all about Patriots Bucks. So it'll be fun. It'll be a fun week. This is probably the last real NFL week. I don't have a ton of Saints-Pats thoughts beyond what I shared in Friday's episode of The Morning Advantage. I think Brady and... The Buccaneers will have their hands full as well with the Rams. And so I think both of these teams really need to focus on tomorrow's games. And then we'll let, we'll, let the rest of the, uh, we'll let the rest of the week next week be all the hype leading up to next Sunday's game. So if you are interested in joining the conversation about Brady and Belichick, certainly reach out to us in, with questions and answers ahead of next week's pod. If you can get them in to me by Wednesday of next week, so that would be Wednesday the 30th of September or the 29th, I believe. I can't remember. I think it's 29th. So if you get them to me by Wednesday the 29th, we'll be able to do them for next week's show, uh, which, like I said, we'll hopefully have a guest on for. We'll be... It will be Brady Week in full force, and we'll have some exciting things to share leading up to Patriots Bucks next week. I know that I try not to do too much Patriots Hong Kong, but it's pretty hard now that it's uh, getting to be that time of year. We're close to Brady Week. So, 
certainly reach out to us on Instagram with questions and comments at homefieldpod. You can follow us there too. You can find um, all of our content on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been a great time talking sports to you for an hour. Um, Hope you can relax tomorrow, watch some football, watch some baseball, hang out. It might rain, supposedly, here in the Northeast. So stay indoors, watch some TV, relax if you have the day off from work. If you are working, it's okay. You can hopefully listen. You've hopefully been listening to this podcast at work. And so you'll be jacked up and informed about all of the sports news of the day. Um, It's been a great time talking to you all. Stay tuned for more content from us here at Home Field Advantage. But until next time, my name is Will Highland. It is September 25th, 2021. And this is Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And if you want to make Home Field Advantage part of your weekly routine, check out our sister program, The Morning Advantage with new episodes on Instagram TV every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, starting September 1st. Hope Field Advantage and The Morning Advantage are presented by Sportland USA, and opinions shared in them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.